0: At Cannabis Business Minds, we train and mentor professionals, entrepreneurs, and aspiring entrepreneurs on how to confidently find their place in the legal cannabis and hemp industries. Come on and join us at CannabisBusinessMinds.com. Hey guys, I hope you're doing well. And on this episode of Cannabis Business Minds, we get to talk with Tony Forge of Four Leaf Consulting, who you all know has been on the podcast several times. She is one of my trusted advisors in cannabis, and she has been really specializing in social equity and working in California. She's now moving on to a uh, national things and I get her on the podcast to talk about what exactly goes into that licensing playbook and her big thing which is very true just because a li- you've received your license doesn't mean you're going to have capital now guys this is a very important thing to understand because we know that it takes capital To start a plant touching business. And it doesn't just take, you know, this small little friends and family round that might get you to, you know, a small part in the actual licensing journey. But for some businesses, we're talking millions of dollars just to start their business. So an application is one thing, but the one of the most important parts is actually making sure that you have access to capital. So what we're going to talk about, both her and I have participated in capital raises, right? And so what we're going to talk about is some of the soft skills, hard skills, and things that you really want in that playbook, and what you can be thinking and be working on. So hope you enjoy it, get that pad, get that pen and start taking some notes. 2018 regulation passed, right? And now we're in 2021. And last time I had you on, it was right before the pandemic. And there hadn't been a lot of changes. And so what's up? Like overall, like that big landscape, like what's happening?
1: So we got some new changes in the regulations recently. And so now all three departments, remember it was Cal Cannabis, the BCC that did retail distribution and testing, and then was the manufacturer's branch, um, all of those now have condensed into one single site, and that's now the Department of Cannabis Control. And so that's a great thing because the state wanted one point, right? One place that people can go to to get all their cannabis information. And before what you were doing, depending on the license type, was you were looking at three sites, right, simultaneously. And if somebody had a micro business license or this site, you're still looking at those three sites. Yeah. And so this was a great thing that they did. They put it all to the DCC. I think it's now called instead of the BCC. And so things have changed, but things haven't changed. Right. So we have more um, kind of definitions of change for owners, for financial interests. Um, when are those looking
0: at- Are those changes positive or negative like for small business owners or are they allowing big business yeah. to open now?
1: I don't know if they're positive or negative. Okay. They're just some kind of clarifications and I don't really see the real impact for, but I do see it in terms of, um, some of the news changes because they have new changes regarding branding and merchandising where you've got to put your license number on, let's say the hoodie and you know it's got to be so you can see it. So for a small business or people who are just doing those branding agreements like white label agreements mm-hmm. or they're not connected to the plant, that's going to be a little onerous. Um, and I suggest everybody listening to this podcast to really look at the new changes from the DCC, they're online. Um, and that's basically, I haven't even gone into a lot of detail because, mm-hmm. again, we are still dealing with this
0: level (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. And LA is the largest
1: market in the world. The largest market in the world. But I'm going to tell you this. Mm. I've got to give the DCR, the Department of Cannabis Regulation in LA, some props. So what they have done in the last two months, this was at the end of August, I believe, they launched a whole website with a lot of different classes for operators. So if if you look yeah they did wow and they're doing in fact i helped them we did a cannabis um, job fair in that. august and we're going to do actually another one in person um in the next six months so we're working on that and we're going to have employers mentorship internship so the city is really getting that off the ground now That's i know huge. everybody out there is oh my god it took them long enough yep 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 <laughs> but, we're, but we're there. <laughs> and so remember, we only have a phase three, the 100 licenses that are yep. available. Now that's 200 licenses that are available, um, and you have to be a social equity uh, candidate. Excellent. And there are all the um, non retail delivery licenses, non-storefront retail delivery licenses that have opened up for social equity people. And so we're seeing this movement. I really see the movement now in LA more so than it ever has been And so that is a really good thing. Last year in 2020, they did some changes to the ordinance. um, and, And so it really helps social equity applicants. They really are cognizant of the predatory practices out there. And so they're really saying in these new ordinances, and new, I mean, 2020, saying, you know, you have got to make people Um, have decision-making ability and voting ability, and you can have a management agreement and an equity stake in their companies, because we were seeing so much of that happening. Um, So I really think that is coming together, and they have made a commitment to issuing more licenses. People are going through modifications, but to the point you made earlier, Simone, the problem is, I'm saying, is property. People Mm. cannot find property, because the problem was in 2018, remember, people were sitting on property from September 2019 on. Because remember, it was a race for the first hundred, yeah. and you had to have a property, and they did not move quickly. So if you have people who've lost so much money, went through so much capital, lost businesses. Every I had so many clients who were just complaining, Tony, what can you do? I'm like, I can't do crap. Yeah, you, know? you can't. That's, It's a sunk cost. It It, it is. It is. And so we had people who really lost um, their businesses, really lost their um, buildings that they have, all because they were waiting. And now that the wait is over, I think the city, I see, the city is committed to, okay, let's put these modifications through. They're giving everybody individual analysts, which are great. What? What? Yes. Wow contact your analysts and you have somebody now you can work with so i really see the Mm -hmm. shift happening in la and more resources being available so that's the good part of that
0: that is such a good part i okay there's a few things i want to touch on um The real estate is just, it's very, very sad. And I think that there's been a lot of new listeners that have, which is great, right? People from Virginia, people from Ohio, Illinois. And I think that's a big misconception. It's like, oh, I want this license so bad. I will do anything that I can. I'll take out my savings. I'll get rid of my house. I'll do whatever. And with when you have regulation, I mean, California was kind of crazy, but for in my mind for doing three Mm -hmm. regulatory bodies, the tax, you know, we saw in Washington, we saw in Oregon and we Washington mostly, so many modifications of the regulatory body. So in that naturally you're going to see a lot of changes, but when you don't know when you're going to get a license and you sink money into real estate and you don't have a backup plan, because remind me, could they have used like let's say I had real estate and could I have used that for a different purpose? Like, let's say I'm like it is in the green zone and I I want to apply for a cannabis license, but I know that it's not going to be for maybe a few years. I'm actually going to get this. Could they actually use the real estate for something
1: else? I'm not giving a legal opinion on that, but I did see people do that. And then when they got close to licensing, then kind of, okay, we're out of here. That's right. what I would have and done. Maybe, yeah, you know. I would have
0: needed a lawyer, I think, but yeah. right. Yeah, oh. But
1: that's such, a, and you know when that's going to be problematic in hmm. New York. Mm. I see that happening in New York or will happen in New York. Um, there, They don't have the application process yet. I just checked maybe a week or two ago. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be interesting. And one thing that I'm promoting, i worked on a, a social equity kind of body, uh, our dream with Hillary Liu and Wally Wong. I love them. And one thing we're trying to do is say to municipalities Don't make having that real estate a requirement. A requirement initially. Don't, you know, because. Nobody can afford it. Nobody can afford it. And when you're talking about these markets like LA, like New York, it's going to be extremely difficult. I think the same issue is going to be in New Jersey because it's going to be difficult to get that real estate. So that's one thing that we're trying to promote as an equity group is that if you're really looking to put people of color or people impacted by the war on drugs or people in these historically Disadvantaged areas, yeah, you cannot put that requirement on property because that is just mixing people out. That's absolutely,
0: absolutely. Mm-hmm. and I think that if people don't understand that, then there's some education that needs to happen because absolutely. it's just like it's the whole concept of like well, generational wealth and where people have access to money, and you know, if you are even just coming from maybe just starting, you you excelled in corporate, right? But you have no family money, and you want to get into the cannabis business. And you're maybe a woman. You are a minority. It's very hard to get access to capital that's needed. You, it's it's very hard. It,
1: and some of what people don't realize. Yeah. I have a really good friend who's an HR executive, corporate life HR executive, switched mm-hmm. to a cannabis company. And first thing he said to me, I had no idea cannabis was so white male, like old mm-hmm. corporate America. Exactly. Those those ties, that good boy network, they can get the capital. Exactly. Do people who are just normal. Right. And remember the whole notion of social equity is to get people from the unregulated black market to the regulated market. How are they going to do that? I mean, how are they going to get that capital? You're acting like they've stacked five million dollars from the. Yeah, from and the it platform. would alert the
0: IRS. I mean, if you think about it, if you're in the LISA market, you haven't been doing your accounting. You have been exactly. not filing, um, a, you know your tax returns, or you have with, you know, not income from you know your cannabis sales, and then all of a sudden we're like, okay, we're going to help you. Yeah, there needs to be a very. I think there needs to be a strong plan to really help operators make that transition.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we don't see that. It is rough to raise capital. I know people who've done it. Um, You know, I know people who've been successful, but it is, people just don't understand getting that deck together, getting that performance together, getting the pitch together, getting the pitch getting that SWOT analysis together you know all of those things yeah and that has always been my push i don't care if i have changed in cannabis i think in 2016 i was feeling you gotta do this you gotta do that you ain't gotta do shit, okay (laughs) um You make that business choice. All I'm trying to do is give you all the information. Exactly. You make that business choice, like I used to do for corporate 500, you know, Fortune 500 companies. If you make that business choice to do something else, that's fine. Just as long as you have the information there. And you forget on some of these agreements, people don't want to be entrepreneurs. They want to- Be operators? Yeah, or operators. For example, for social equity, sometimes people just want- the payout. Let somebody else do it. I can work for them. Mm-hmm. I can learn. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be responsible now. Maybe I use this as a stepping stone for yeah. me to be an operator in the future in another jurisdiction, but you have to really look at the needs of what people are looking to do.
0: I think that's great. And I also think it's very important to ask yourself, like, what do I really want? Mm-hmm. And really preparing yourself for like what this journey in cannabis is going to be because you and I are both on the ancillary side. Like you, you definitely work a lot more with operators than I do now since I'm in France. But I mean, even before you would, you're, you get your hands, you know, you, you dig in and you really support your clients, but it's a big journey operating as a plant touching business. And it's a hard journey. And, you know, I, the, the podcast that is before this one that I did a solo cast was like, you almost have to have a pre-licensing playbook, right? Like, it's like, you got your, oh, I'm now I've got my license. I've got, I've got my funding, right? And that pre-licensing playbook is asking yourself, like, what is it, if you even want to get a license or if you want to be ancillary, like, what is it that you really need to do? Because there's, I mean, what would you think would be in that playbook? I'm
1: going to tell you what's going to be in the playbook. It's just simple things that people don't think about. I have, you know, I'm helping people now who want to do cultivation, mm-hmm. but yet they don't have a cultivation team. Yep. They don't have a master grower. Yep. So when I'm doing the application and I'm like, okay, so who's going to grow for you? Well, we don't have that. So it's assembling the team. I always say this at nauseum. Who is going to be routine? So yep. That's what investors want to see. That's what even cities want to see. Cities want to see, do these people have the know-how to be successful? Because yes. that's what they want in their city, right? They exactly. want longevity. They want good business partners. Yep. They want people who get it, people who are compliant. And that's what I don't see people doing. So in the first part book, mm-hmm. I'm going to have who's my team, yep on my team has corporate experience, yep. who has marketing, who has financial experience, who has executive experience, you know, what makes us different, what makes us an asset to the city if you're doing an application, you know, what things should the city be looking for, it's all there, but because that's what I do when I do the application, Yeah, literally sitting with the client and saying okay what's your business about exactly sometimes people haven't even thought about what's oh the name we, of your business? we <laughs> were
0: girl we worked on a very very competitive project we won that license You're and dead. I remember we were doing like who's your target market exactly. and we're and it was like t minus 10 days like it yeah, was crazy nice. and it was you know and so I think that you know we for us, it's just so obvious, like, guys, okay, let's let's make that business, plan. let's really dive into this. But I'm curious if it's just a lack of knowing that what the playbook is, or if it's getting caught up and getting so excited and not really thinking it through of why people a, aren't doing it.
1: I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. I think you don't know what you don't know. You just one hundred percent. Yeah. You and I have had corporate backgrounds. Yeah. So we have always interacted with that nomenclature. Yeah. You know, we know the terminology, the phrase. We know we might know the answer, but we know the issue.
0: Yeah. We know
1: how to issue spot and what we need. Yeah. The framework. The framework. The context. I just had a colleague talk to me about. We have to put this in context. Absolutely so. Yeah, like I don't think people have that exposure to that. And then the other thing I think it is, is just the culture. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a culture of, I think people see it now, but business first, right? Yeah, it's a culture of the plant, the connection with the plant, yeah, you know, everything the plant has done for them. And yeah. I get
0: that. Absolutely.
1: I get that. But that to me as a lawyer is always secondary. We got to get business. We got to get this. We got to button you up. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, I, I agree. And then I almost think, like, to even spin that a little bit more of like the plant and how it's helped 100%. Use that to educate, use that to go talk to city council, use that to build your brand, use that to get people understanding why they need to legalize cannabis at a federal level. Like, I think that is like almost to flip it around. It's like, yes, that's part of who you are. That's part of your story. That's part of your brand and educate because it's still federally illegal. And that's mm-hmm. like, if we can get more people, because if people, you're right, like people get so passionate about, it's changed my life because it has. It's done mm-hmm. am- amazing things for so many people. And so mm-hmm. I think it's like, yeah, tell that story. But then remember, like, are you, you know, the definition of entrepreneurship is you're in the business to realize the profit. And so, right. So are you just wanting to be an, ab- an advocate? Okay, well then be an advocate and that's your journey. But if you want to, you know, add profit to the advocacy, then let's kind of shift our mindset a little bit.
1: Absolutely. And you have to. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes clients just don't want to hear that and yeah. I have to step away when they don't. Yeah, But, you know, I ask a lot of questions and even I have one client that I'm helping with a, a deal. I, I like to sleep on stuff. Yeah. You know, Simone, I like to put it out there but then I'm going to them and think about it because in my dreams, I always come up with different questions and answers. It's amazing. And so I always like a day or two to get mm-hmm. some more there. And that's what happened. I thought mm-hmm. about this question, that question. Yep. And the investor was pushing back. And I said, well, if, we, you know, These are just normal questions that you would ask in any due diligence or why are they pushing back? But they get so used to the cannabis person just signing on the dotted line Uh, and not pushing back, that when you do, especially in the realm of social equity, uh, um, you know, that it's sometimes difficult for you to do the due diligence because they're just like, well, why don't you just take the deal? Oh, I get that. take the deal, but be informed
0: about it. 100%. (laughs) Well, it's like, I remember I was trying to open up a bank account or do something in France. And I always feel a little bit rushed when people are like, can you sign it here? Well, hello, this is a different language. It's going to take me some time. And I think that naturally... Maybe people feel like they have to, especially when it's an authoritative figure and they're waiting on something that they have to say, yes, they have to do it immediately. And I think it's called now the Tony rule is like, no, you just wait. You can take your time. This is a big decision for you. You have the right to say, I'm going to think about it. Let me, you know, the 20, I, it's the 24 hour rule in finance. Why can't it be the same for decisions, right? Like 24 hour rule for decisions. Yeah. If that's a big one.
1: Yeah, my sister was making a really big career decision. And you're absolutely correct. She felt rushed. And I think it says, well, they told me I need to sign it. And she called me and I'm like, why do you need to sign it now? Yeah. You're in control of this whole process. Yeah. If you're feeling overwhelmed and rushed, send them a note back and say, I need 24 and 48 hours just to wrap my mind, to unpack this yep. and let it be done. I have learned the hard way when you rush it because sometimes mm-hmm. it goes against your gut, it goes against your instinct, and you maybe be regretful afterwards. So I... On big decisions, I might sleep on it. For my clients, a lot of times I'll come back because I thought of something. Yeah. Because a lot of times you're just in the moment of constructing a response, a document, and you don't have that think time. And I always try to allow myself some think time.
0: The think time is where it's at. It's like Abraham Lincoln was like, if I had to cut down a tree, and it took me six hours and I had six hours. I'd spend four hours sharpening the knife, right? And I think it's, I mean, I know that quote. I, I see that quote all the time, but it is hard to remember, right? So you have to have, I, I mean, I guess, Tony, what's your strategy for that? Because you're so good at, you know, setting those boundaries, like really sticking to what you believe and what you say, but sometimes it's hard to really Remember what you want to do. What kind of advice would you give? Like, if I know that, for example, like if I know that quote, what would you tell me? Like, how do I remind myself to do the 24-hour rule? Remind myself to, you know, actually spend time strategizing instead of just doing it?
1: It's self-care. It's self-care. You should love yourself enough to give you the time to make a decision that's for you. It's putting yourself first because when you're rushing and responding, you're putting that other person's needs first. You're putting them first because you feel you need to respond because they'll get what upset, annoyed, you know, pissed off. It's all about them. So what I try to do is make it all about me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And there's and that's what we're supposed to do. Right, That's what we're supposed to to do
1: you have to make it all about yourself and your comfort and what feels good to you. Because, you know, so many times I make these decisions for everyone else and my younger self. Yeah. And I was so angry and so resentful yeah. and I don't do it now. I just got my aunt, I went to see my aunt over the weekend and she mm-hmm. said, you were supposed to come last weekend. And I was, but mm-hmm. it was raining here in LA and I'm like, I ain't getting out of bed. <laughs> yes. When I brought her roses and stuff this weekend and she said, well, you were supposed to come. I said, you're absolutely right. And I didn't. It was raining. I, yeah. don't, I don't do excuses. Mm-hmm. I don't, oh my God, they're going to be mad. If in my eternal gut, I don't feel yeah. um, like I'm doing a service to myself, then I don't do it. And I, I, I would suggest everybody take a pause. I always say to my clients, this is your business and this is the opportunity for you to ask these questions. You might not get that opportunity again. So why would you ask everything that you want to ask? All they can say is, no, I don't have it or no, I'm not going to do this. But at least you are putting your best foot forward in terms of. Yeah advocating for yourself.
0: Absolutely. When I think that entrepreneurship is really this journey of self-discovery. I mean, it really is. And like, you can see how much you love yourself of how you negotiate stuff, what you're focused on, how you're taking care of your money, how you're taking care of your business. Like it's very interesting. And you know, mindset, I believe is more than 80% of our success.
1: It is. It so
0: is. Right. And it's just interesting when you think about what I think a lot of people might struggle with if there's like maybe team conflict or if there's, and I'm kind of changing this a little bit because we mm-hmm. talked about this offline. So I'm going to go down this tangent. We might have to go back a little bit to licensing, okay. but okay. you know I think that what happens is that if we're not really aware of what we want, like we said and who we are, and how we deal with problems, and how we react, and we don't do that internal SWOT assessment, I think it's going to be hard for whoever that person is to be successful as an entrepreneur in the long run. Like, it's like, you know, on my Instagram, on my personal Instagram, I follow a ton of like therapy stuff, like self-development. And I've noticed that when I'm the most successful as an entrepreneur it's when I'm really focused on who I am as an individual, not my technical skills. And so I guess parlaying back to what we're talking about is, yes, that business licensing playbook, it's all about the technical stuff. But what type of, you know, internal work would you suggest somebody doing for themselves if they literally are coming from, you know, corporate to cannabis and they've never been an entrepreneur before? Like, what would that what would that, you know, soft skill stuff look like?
1: I just look at my own journey because Mm -hmm. I'm so different from where I used to be in 2016 to now yeah um, I'm so much more confident than I used to be and that is good because I think especially as women it's imposter syndrome. You know, we always, and especially as a black woman, we always, and I'll say me, I always felt I had to be better than everybody because I was under a microscope Mm. and that I couldn't fail. Like I had to know every response and everything and be able to say it in a dime and sitting here now. I know I know more than fucking 80% of the people out there. I know mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah. And so, you know, when I have these big companies come to me, and I used to feel so intimidated until I looked at their paperwork or heard what they were <laughs> saying and they really just didn't know and all this. Now, it just doesn't bother me at all. I push back yeah. because I'm confident about who and what I am in this industry. And if I don't know, I can say I don't know. I remember it's so funny because I'm having the meeting later on. Mm-hmm. I had this calculation from a huge company in terms of my clients' returns. And Simone, it was like a paragraph and a half of a calculation. And like, I don't even understand this. Right. So the old Tony would have tried to figure this crap out. Yeah. New Tony said, come back with me to meet with an example. It took them three months.
0: Oh, you're going to say three days. Three
1: months. That's what I said, example. I said, it should be three days, three months with an example. Oh. So I like. Yeah, Yeah. you you didn't really know this crap, too. And you thought nobody was going to ask about this. And (laughs) this is just something that you put in there. And somebody thought it was a good idea, probably 10 deals ago. And you just kept it in there not to explain it. But it's just that type of thing. And so you're correct on this. And what I would say to new entrepreneurs, because Mm -hmm. I've come from, you know, corporate to this, you have to be open. You have to be flexible. Everybody doesn't see the same things you see. Oh, my God. Things we take for granted and we have been exposed to in the corporate world. You know, your emphasis is different from somebody else's emphasis. And the other thing you have to do is try to just figure out what do you really want. Yeah. Like I said, everybody doesn't want to be an entrepreneur. People might want to be an entrepreneur and they sell their business. You yeah. know get them ready for that. But you have to have an idea of what you're about, what you want to do, and a time frame. And I yeah. don't think people just sit back and think about that because they're so, okay, I got to get the license. I got to get the, yeah. you know, the thing. I got to get the state license. So they're so busy doing that that they don't have that sit back time. And that's what you should be doing in the pre-work you're talking
0: about. Yeah. It's the awareness, right? I think it's just like being woke a little bit, like being woke to entrepreneurship is like, don't go on the hamster wheel just because you think that's what you're supposed to do. Being busy clocking in 17 hour days when you're not getting stuff done, isn't as big as like making a big impact and just being aware and thoughtful. So but I agree. I mean, I have learned so much since hopping in, in like 2014, 2015. It's just, I think it's a lot about saying no, the boundaries are huge. boundaries. I mean, I think that I said yes to everything because cannabis is so exciting. There's so many opportunities and people, there's a lot of great salespeople out there pitching you ideas, wanting you to be part of their teams. Right. And sometimes the money doesn't, isn't backed by that. And as an entrepreneur, you know, you have to, it's a, it's an interesting balance that I've learned. Like I actually had a very great company, uh, approach me, had a few conversations and then they're like, oh, it's sweat equity. And I wish that I had asked at the very, it was two conversation. I wish that I, at the very first conversation, I was like, well, let's talk about pay i didn't say that i was like i'm interested this is a very new project i never heard anything about this type of thing but i wish like i think old simone still would have been having the conversation so new simone already did a good job i was like okay you know sweat equity that's not really what i'm looking for right now right and being and being very comfortable and okay saying it It wasn't hurting anybody's feelings set that boundary because i knew that wasn't what i want right now
1: exactly i have clients all the time send me stuff i need you to look at this Where's your money? <laughs> <laughs> and so before I used to give everybody kind of the benefit of the doubt, that yep. they're going to pay, everything's yep. going to be fine until I got stiff. Yeah. now I don't do crap. Yeah. Unless I get an a retainer or two, a retainer, that money. And then when it's over and over. Now, I'm very conscientious and I always give, you know, like I said, a follow up or yeah. I thought of this and I'm not charging for that. But you have to because you think people really are going to do the right thing a lot of times they don't yeah they just don't
0: yeah i think that was another big thing i learned is just like i was so innocent of just Mm -hmm. trusting people and it's important you do just like uh, you would have a due diligence on a business like do due diligence on people and and even when you do due diligence you still might not see true colors for a while so making sure that i don't know i don't know what the advice would be but like that you just have caution, that you approach, the, that you make sure that, going back to what you said, protecting yourself, that self-care, making sure that every decision you make is helping you get to whatever goal you're trying to get.
1: Right. right. And everybody is, it to me, the whole entrepreneurial thing is like marriage right yeah you date dating is like your due diligence are we going to work together how we're we going to do this any other and you've got to look for red flags with partners yeah with situations investors if you see too many of those red flags you gotta walk away from it yeah you know, if it doesn't really fit what your needs are but um yeah in the partnership oh my god I implore people If you are going to get in with a partner, really understand how they work, how they think, how they operate, because that's what I'm seeing so much in terms of litigation, Mm -hmm. in terms of problems Mm -hmm. is the partnerships really not working out after a year you know now with some of in LA people have been operating for two or three years and then it's just not it's not coming the way they thought they would yeah that's because it was oh she's cool right
0: (laughs) and I think it was that or it was like maybe not like what are our roles and responsibilities like oh, wow. it's corporate stuff, right? Like that to me, it's like, this is my favorite thing. Have I ever, have we worked on a, a racy together? It's like a mm-hmm. matrix. Okay. It's like, who's responsible, who's accounted, who's consulted and who's informed. So mm-hmm. like, as solopreneurs, I would never use it. But like as an organization, when people are like, well, am I responsible for the marketing? Am I responsible for the social media? Who's responsible for signing contracts? Like it goes down to every business process and it really makes it clear. And it gives so much more organizational clarity because Mm -hmm. I think what happens is that, like you said, it's like, yeah, they're cool. Oh, let's just do it this way. No formalization of process. And then, and then, you know, all of a sudden, Tony, Tony, you and I are working together, let's say. And then, God, I've done the social media this many times, you know, I'm, I all of a sudden get angry, but you thought it was my responsibility because I took ownership of that. And so I think it's just like, again, it's funny. It's just being direct and being clear at the very beginning of what what the expectations are and being able to adjust those expectations, like you said, because they're going to need to be adjusted. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool framework. I I learned it when I first worked in France with my consulting company. And it was just like, but even those big corporations didn't even know. They're like, Oh, I don't know who's responsible for doing this. And it's like, but how, right. And so a lot of startups face this.
1: Right. And then you have problems with follow-up, follow-through. And I think I wish with some of my clients, they would have had a meeting and not just, oh, I'm in charge of marketing. What does that mean? So, you know, in our contracts, we're talking about marketing. We're Mm -hmm. talking about social media. Does that mean you're going to... look at those contracts and track the social media? Mm-hmm. Are you just posting the social media? Yeah. And people don't really get into the weeds with the processes. Yeah. But you really have to and even like to your point, who has ownership of all that stuff? Yeah. That really needs to to be decided.
0: absolutely.
1: And, uh, and this is my main thing too, which I see so many cannabis people don't have huh. an executive assistant or an administrative assistant. Ah. I don't even understand how you do that. I, I don't, don't understand. understand
0: it. I don't The only way <laughs> I've been able to do anything since I've had the baby is because I have the most amazing executive assistant. Like right. literally okay. I'm like, and I'm just on my own. Right. And if I had a team and I didn't, and I was operating a cannabis business, it's like the number one thing. I think it's, again, I think it's learning entrepreneurship, learning how to delegate. That mm-hmm. might be isn't one of the issues, mm-hmm. right? Like really learning how to delegate properly and, and taking that step back of, wait, hold on. Like it's the road, it's the roadmap and the playbook, Tony. It's like, right. I guess, I guess my question is, if the if the, you see the issues when businesses are operating, but those businesses had a business plan. Was the business plan not good enough? No. Right? So there's, was... I think there's that issue. I,
1: I, we're gonna say it to your profession. It's the difference from going to accounting school and learning that crap in, in accounting and then actually practicing it. Yeah. You know, exactly. what I learned in law school ain't crap to do with what I learned in terms of being an attorney. You learn yeah. the principles in law school, which yeah. is like the principles of accounting, but you know how they tweak in the nuances once you get out there. People don't make that leap and that jump, right? Mm-hmm. So they may have a playbook. But what does that really, really mean in the yeah. day-to-day operation? If I'm a CEO, I can't work in the dispensary. I can't manage all this stuff. I can't figure out the next meeting. I can't coordinate. You need somebody to help you do that. And I know that That's an expense, but what I see a lot of cannabis companies do is Mm. they will spend the money on marketing and a party, yeah, all this other kind of stuff. I really have some clients up north that are big on that, yeah, but yet they're not getting kind of their ducks in a row on a day-to-day basis.
0: Oh my God. And that stresses me out because A, if they're plant touching, all the marketing, all the parties, you cannot deduct those expenses. Okay. Like it's 280E. You cannot deduct those expenses. So every dollar you put in marketing, you better get an ROI on that. And you better know exactly how to track it.
1: And they don't. But you know what? They really don't. But I had, when I did the um, LA Cannabis um, career fair, fair yeah. there was one guy that all he talked about from Camp Nova, I was so impressed with him. The numbers and data. That's all he talked about in marketing. Mm. And you and I know that's all you should be talking oh about. Oh, my God.
0: It is. It's so true because, you know, I'm actually... And actually, we got to have another podcast episode Mm -hmm. just about this. But yeah, marketing is there's so many cool opportunities now with digital marketing. If you're even if you're a cannabis operator to be able to touch, touch people and have those interactions. Yes, you might not be able to do Facebook ads, Instagram ads, all that stuff, but there's definitely great ways. And I know because of the issues of you know advertising, Mm -hmm. sometimes it Mm maybe makes sense to do a billboard, but Mm -hmm. It's really hard to kind of track. And so, yeah, let's, let's definitely hop on a conversation about that. And
1: I was so impressed with him because it was, he was talking about ROI. He wasn't talking about influencers or celebrities or parties. You know, that's the top three things that we hear in cannabis when it's marketing. I know these great influencers, like I had one client, I know I'm friends with Drake,
0: Who cares? (laughs) Unless you're targeting like Drake's audience with your brand, then that doesn't really help. And unless Drake is going to give you a shout out specifically to your brand with a coupon code that you can, that you can like literally follow,
1: that doesn't really mean anything. Absolutely. And so it was so refreshing yeah. to hear this guy from Camp Nova just go yeah. on and on about what I heard in the corporate world. Yeah. Return on investment. Mm-hmm. This, you know, what the dollars look like. Yeah. Who really are re- retooling their target market, really looking at all the data, sitting with the data and saying, okay, we thought it was this, and now we're seeing a shift. Yeah, COVID, and it went this way. How many people really do that kind of thoughtful analysis? That's I yeah. was just like more than impressed because I said that's what people should be doing. Now. Yeah, you know, when yeah. they give all this money to the marketing budgets so they can do the parties, the influencers, yeah. or or drink. or
0: go to MJ Biz, <laughs> and I'm <laughs> also curious. Gone. We both didn't go, and yeah. I am so curious what people's Return on investment is there? Like I, I when I used to go as just an attendee, it'd be great. I could meet people, I mm-hmm. built my network. But mm-hmm. I even think about the deals that I got—maybe one, maybe two, but not nothing big. And I think about putting, you know, let's say thirty k for a booth. I mean, maybe it's, their whole objective is just brand awareness if they mm-hmm. have that much money. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, like when you really think about an ROI for going to that
1: conference. And I never got, well, I'll take that back. The ROI was when we would go to those, the parties, the the parties parties or something that had nothing to do with the conference, right? That you're, you're making those connections. You're putting faces to names. You're doing all of that. That made sense. And so the ROI was a little, it was a little, I'm going to say, yeah, that. but actually the first time I paid for the conference, I was just like, this is a fucking waste of time. I'm yeah. just walking around. It's the same people I see at the CCIA. It's yeah. the same. So I don't even go for those conferences. Yeah. Anymore. It's the relationships. It's the relationships. And to be honest, when you used to do your stuff here, I yeah. got more out of your Gosh, stuff years ago, and yeah. then I still work with people to this day.
0: Wow, that's hear. And I'm so just cool not to saying
1: that to, to pump you up. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah. There are so many relationships I met during your seminars that I still deal with all these women today. We still work on projects. That's We're awesome. Friends. And so, yeah, but you're right. But people don't really look at that. Yeah, And they should. You're spending all of this on advertising or going to this thing. Um, How is it really going to materialize to you that you're, you're correct, returning on your investment?
0: Yeah. And like, and also I think cash flow is such a big deal. Right. And so like you spend in 30 K here, like, well, could you have hired a virtual assistant that could be actually doing social media for that entire year with that 30 K. Right. And so there you're right. It's just this, it's a different way of thinking about things. And you know mm-hmm. i want to i want to take us back cuz you know we have the speed round and we're going to have to have another podcast episode for okay. sure <laughs> um, about you know what was the objective of this one and it was to say hey you know you got this license so you you built a playbook you were successful in actually getting the license but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get funding
1: oh girl no oh, so girl, let's ta- no. let's let's
0: talk about that for a little bit
1: Because let me tell you what the investors are saying. They're saying that the cities are so slow. With the licensing process, that a lot of investors are not willing to sit on a piece of property at twelve from ten thousand a month, twelve thousand a month for two years. Yeah, and so I have a lot of investors. I, I'm doing one investment meeting this afternoon where the investor is basically, okay, where is the city? When is the licensing supposed to start? we don't want to invest in you unless we have a clear-cut directive from the city the licensing is going to start on this day so they're not just sitting and just pouring capital out,
0: and it right? makes sense I mean it, it makes complete totally sense it totally
1: makes sense and I totally get it but then you know on the other hand when I'm mm-hmm. at the city uh, and this is in LA it's another city when I'm city council meeting, it's, oh, it's going to be around this time. But cities, you're not going to get anything definitive at all times unless they have it written out in the ordinance or on their website or something like that. We just don't have that. And so it's going to be difficult. And I get it as an investor because they've seen what's happened the last two or three years. We're not just going to keep pouring out money. Yeah. You're not going to keep doing that. No. You really have to be, have that license in hand, mm-hmm. you know, for them to really do that. And that's not even guaranteed because yeah. some investors are, you know, we're putting all this money for somebody who's never run a cannabis business and you
0: can't be mad at them. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you can't be mad at them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. well, this is where I think really like, because so, I'm just trying to think like, well, what are the solutions here? And it seems like what you're working on, and I, if you could talk a little bit more about this, about the social equity group that you're working with, it seemed to me, the solution is this. You have to lobby local governments to say, you cannot have a real estate requirement and period, like you, you cannot have that. And then hand in hand, I mean, that, that would eliminate that capital requirement. Right. And is is that a doing. solution? Okay, that's right. Okay. So tell me, yeah. like, are you doing this in California? Are you doing this no, no, nationally?
1: No, no. We're okay. Doing it nationally. Wow. And the our dream, it's the working group that um, and there's operators on that group, people from different cannabis uh industries. But what we're trying to say is we've seen what's happened in social equity in Oakland, in California, which is kind of the the beginnings of social equity yeah and we've seen the pain points yeah and so let's try to eliminate that we've seen some good programs come out of illinois where Mm -hmm. they're talking about reinvestment that's something we need to think about we're thinking looking at what's happening out of detroit and so what this group is trying to do Mm -hmm. is really trying to advocate to groups in certain in different cities okay about these are some of the lessons learned with social mm. equity. And these are kind of our dream goals, right? And so, if you can just adopt maybe a couple of these things, it's really going to work in your interests um, in terms of having a successful social equity program. Because let's use LA. I mean, mm-hmm. look from where it started. To So one of our recommendations is definitely going to be, you can't sit, have people sit on property for years before you start the ordinance and the application process. You can't do that. And so that's kind of what we're promoting. And the group was out, I want to say... They were out in early October, speaking in Harlem, speaking in Brooklyn. I just went not cool. go with them this last night. But yeah. yeah, and so they were basically speaking about advocating, really yeah. getting out there, making sure you say to your municipality or your state, "This is kind of what we need."
0: Well, and I and let me know how I can help if I can help because even right. showing. With 280 and the federal mm-hmm. taxes, like, because mm-hmm. it's like if you hurt and cripple somebody from putting all their money in at the very beginning and investing in real estate when they're not getting an ROI at all for like two years and it's just money down the drain, then they have to start their budget. They have to start up. They have to spend mm-hmm. all this money operating. They're going to have to put sales and marketing in, right? Just to start driving sales to their business. Those aren't deductible mm-hmm. expenses. So then all of a sudden, that business's cash flow is literally like just sucked down and then then if that business goes out of business then it's bad for the city so I think it's like it's it's just got to be education
1: yes and it's got to be advocacy you know for that advocacy and and it really has to be groups that are very concerned, not there for their own interests, because we saw that in LA, Yeah, all these advocacy groups, but they're really just for themselves Mm -hmm. and to try to get their their clients through and their clients. Yeah, And they really weren't looking at for the greater good. Um, But now I think we're seeing what the landscape could be. Yeah, And like I said, on this working group through our dream, we're really trying to get that going.
0: Oh, I love it. And I guess I I would say like just we can wrap up this little point with, you know, one piece of advice like if somebody's like, "Oh my god, but I'm almost at that licensing stage." You know, my advice would be, well, I wish we had talked to you a while ago so you could play build that playbook. <laughs> so so you had focused on an investment strategy, right? So you'd focused on that cash flow so you had been aware of it. Cause to me, that's like the biggest thing is, you know, just because you're right, just because you're you have a license doesn't mean that you have funding. Yeah. So really focus ahead of time on everything that would be getting your playbook and making sure that you have a good cash flow, parent. That's my and advice.
1: You, know, you always have to keep getting capital. You You do. In the beginning, you just, you have this lump sum and that crap ain't going to teach you constantly have to fight to get capital because you know how much money it is going to be to run through again. So yeah. Not only the taxes, the property, everything. The consulting, still, the, the compliance,
0: expensive. everything's expensive. No. And Absolutely. then the state taxes, Absolutely. the, local, the taxes. local taxes.
1: And yeah. sometimes you and the locals, you have a development agreement where they want 1% or 2% or some percent of something so they can have a city you know, event or to help wow. with the city. So it really just depends. But I tell my people, yeah. honey, you're gonna have to raise capital for a while until you see that business really going because you and I both know people think they're gonna make a million dollars the first year. I don't know how many times I have to say that when I look at these projections and yeah. the perform on the projections 1.5 million dollars the first year, where?
0: Yeah, right. And and, and I feel like and then it's like, okay, that's even, let's say they even hit Mm 1.5. Okay, that's revenue. But then when you deduct your cost of goods sold, when you deduct your selling, your general, your administrative costs, and if you were an owner and you weren't an operator, employees, Mm -hmm. everything. And taxes, you really don't have much left over. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big misconception with a lot of people wanting to get in this space. Is that you're right? They just see those green flashy lights, Mm -hmm. but it's a long it's a long term play in this space. It's It's a long term play.
1: It really, really is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Are you ready for the speed round?
1: I'm ready for the speed.
0: Oh my god! So I'm so excited. So these are like new questions for uh, season five. Okay. Why did you make the jump from corporate to cannabis?
1: I was so done with corporate America. I was just done. And then my good friend, Monique, you know. You know
0: Monique, I'm trying to try to get her terrible. on the podcast.
1: I, yeah, she is a great. Okay, good. I'll tell her too. Uh, Monique suggested <laughs> me do this. And I thought, I never heard of this. This is just crazy. Uh-huh. And after Monique kind of convinced me, then it was, it was cool. And I liked it because I liked the part of corporate America. I'm like, I used to do a lot of consulting for internal groups, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what the attorney does. The attorney is talks about risk management. This is your liability. This is your risk. If you do X, Y, and Z. Um, and I liked that part of it. So it, it gave me that consultative high that I yeah. like yeah. without the corporate bullshit. Yeah. Um, and You know, Monique is now on the creative side and not on the legal side, but I've seen how much I've expanded with my business to municipalities, to, you know, helping them do certain things, to different kinds of clients, to non-cannabis clients, I have a couple of those, so I've really expanded and I really, yeah. really like that but I first initially got in it through Monique Jackson Fitzgerald and that's because I hated corporate America so much and she knew I wasn't going back and now <laughs> that I heard Starbucks is going to be $23 an hour next year I said if this doesn't pan out I'll be your local barista that's <laughs> what oh my god I, I used
0: to be a barista I would love my, my kind of big dream right now is to make a, a money cafe so I make people lattes and talk to them about money
1: that is so good
0: i would i would that love it good. so open up the conversation a little bit more you know get people comfortable about talking yes. about money
1: people don't especially women we women don't like don't to talk about feel, women don't like to feel comfortable talking about money i don't understand you will tell us how much you spend on the birkin or some shoes but no. you can't tell me about stocks in a 401k
0: exactly <laughs> Exactly that. exactly all right um what has what has working in the industry taught you? We've talked a lot about it, but the number one thing working in the industry has taught you
1: You have to be open to see somebody else's point of view. That's good That's just so because good. I I don't have to believe it, but I have to see their point of view and then I have to respond according to what they want as a client. And sometimes, like I said in the beginning, I push my point of view. You need to be compliant. You need, you may got do nothing except, you know, pay taxes and die. So um <laughs> you know, if you don't want to do that, I've really, okay. I see what they're saying because some people have different goals and you have to be open to say, okay, that's not their goal. That may be my goal, but that's not their goal. I need to sit down and shut up and let them lead the conversation. So definitely that.
0: Oh, that's so good. Okay. Last but not least, what is one thing you wish you told yourself when you first started, when you first got started?
1: believe in yourself. You can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it. I, I'm i going to tell you this, and Monique is going to crack up. When Monique left our practice, I spent three days in bed crying. And three tequila. days and tequila. I remember Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Remember this, Simone? I was like, how am I going to do this? I can't do this by myself. Oh my God. And then the third day, I was like, bitch, if you don't get out of this bed and you have done so many different things in your career, what makes you think this is going to be different? Mm -hmm. Then you're going to be okay. And I wish I had that confidence back then. Yeah. Now I have it. And even when I do something different, I'm always... Okay, I can do this. Look how many, you know, my mother bought me this book in college. It was called Feel the Fear, But Do It Anyway. And I've lived my life that way. It was instrumental that people get fearful of things and that stops them. Yeah. And the whole premise of the book is you're going to feel fear. So what? You're going to yeah. be uncomfortable. So what? But you got to just walk through it. And I've always done that. I've had so much change in my life. And people always get the misconception that, oh, Tony lights change. Oh, she's so amenable to the No, half of the time, I'm like, I don't want to do this bullshit. Yeah. But I know once I get to the other side, I'm going to be fantastic. Exactly. So just getting to the other side.
0: Everything that you want is on the other side of fear.
1: Everything you want.
0: And it's so easy for us to stay in that comfort zone, right? It's just, and when you're in the comfort zone, you're not in the growth zone and it's just entrepreneurship, I think just kind of catapults you out to at least try to take that into the growth zone. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I used to have a magnet that said like everything that you want is on the other side of fear. It's true. And And it's so easy to kind of forget that sometimes right when you're like "Mm, I don't know if I want to do that well is that your fear talking or is that logic talking right and so it's it's a constant reminder for myself sometimes like sometimes I can sometimes I do things to me that really aren't that scary that other people might think wow Mm -hmm. like moving to France like that wasn't a big deal for me like I don't know I know but for me for me that wasn't right but like literally going on social media lives That is my fear zone, and so I'm trying to do it a little bit more. And so Mm -hmm. everyone's fear is so different, and it's just if you want to enjoy, if you want to try to get the most out of life, you got to get out of that fear zone.
1: You do, you really do, and you have to just be uncomfortable. Yeah, you have to stay uncomfortable. Yeah, but once you once you get to the other side, you're fine. And so after I got up from the tequila. I was good. I
0: was good. Yeah. And I mean, but you've been doing so great. I guess before we wrap up, like, you know, what are you most excited for in the last bit of 2021, 2022 going forward? Like, what are you excited for professionally?
1: Well, 2020 sucked. I mean, Dude, I it was awful. maybe it was horrible. I maybe had one client, two clients. I mean, it just sucked. This yeah. year has been really good, and I'm so grateful and thankful for that. Um, what I'm looking to do more professionally is to go nationally. I really want to do more national work. Hell yeah. Um, So I'm looking to getting in New York to do some work, in Chicago to do some work. So that's kind of what I want to do professionally. I want to take all the lessons learned from California and just kind of apply those um, to other markets. So other markets, that's my main thing.
0: Excellent. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, if our listeners want to find you, they can go to BorleyConsulting.com and find you. Number four, and find you also on Instagram at number four leafcoatconsulting.com.
1: Yes, absolutely. All right, absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. I love having you on the podcast. So long, I love you more. We always have a good
1: time. <laughs> we have such a good
0: time. All right, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this, leave us a five-star review. Make sure that you share this episode on your social media and tag us in the Instagram stories. You can find us wherever you go on social media. Just look up Cannabis Business Minds. Have an idea for the show or something that you want to talk about? Shoot us an email at podcast at cannabisbusinessminds.com.